MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. My guest today is Tesh Wilcox. Tesh is a well-known culture transformation and org design thought leader, helping organizations large and small to navigate change, uncertainty, and bring out the best in their people and business. Tash has spent over 20 years shaping future changemakers in the creative industry. Previously, as program leader of the BA and MA graphic design course at Salford University, and then as a director of Masters Europe at Hyper Island. Her most recent step is into Snook, a company whose purpose is a world where people and planet thrive in balance, where potential is realized and everyone is empowered to help themselves and help one another. This is part of Tash's role as Head of Learning Design at Snook to spread the understanding of the impact of human-centered design within the industry. Tesh is unleashing her creativity music, typography as a speaker and in community building. Welcome, Tesh. It's my pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much. Great to be Let's here. get started. Yeah, I have to say I'm very impressed by all the things that you do, all the projects that you do. And I would like to ask you first around, how do you find balance? Can you share with us a bit how you organize and structure your life and how you manage to work on all these exciting projects? Um, so I, I was, <laughs> was once asked if I had a twin, uh, which I was like, oh no, but I actually have quite a lot of doppelgangers, even though they seem to be a lot taller than me. Um, <laughs> and I sort of asked why, and they were like, because you do a lot. Um, I think I I sit in quite a privileged position if I say that. Like I I have good networks that I've built up over time and I'm quite confident in myself. So I put quite a lot out into the world. So sometimes I think I can look busier than someone else. I'm actually not. I just put a lot more out there and I think sometimes I spend maybe less time on it than people think I do. Um also I don't have children. Like, I love children. I'm not saying children are a bad thing. <laughs> have wonderful children. But, you know, that that will alter the time that you have in the day. However, um, I'd say sort of like 10 or 15 years, well, 10, 10 to 12 years ago, um, I was running the course at Salford University. I loved my job. I loved the students, but digital had sort of opened the door to students being able to talk to you 24-7. And I flung that door so wide open that I then had 300 people demanding my attention like day and night. And it's it sort of, it et into my life and my work became my life and I didn't have any edges or boundaries. And actually my boyfriend, um, pointed out that I used to like drawing and he's like why don't you he bought a notepad and a pen and said do you really like lettering and you don't do any of that and you like doodling why don't you stop for an hour in the evening and just do some drawing and don't go on the computer and don't be on the phone and blah 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 and it coincided with the third years being in their final um their sort of like their final project and they were they were going hmm I'm thinking about this, but they weren't doing. So I sort of was strode in the next day and went, okay, I am going to do a drawing a day, but I'm going to do it on paper. And if I can do that, you're going to see how much you sort of create if you do one small thing a day. So it sort of, it kills two birds with one stone. And actually that was the start of me taking back control of my life. And I still do about one hour drawing every day and I've done that for 10 years now so once a day oh, wow. I sit and go and draw and actually because some people are like oh I don't have time and I'm like but even half an hour just just try doing it because if it becomes the habit you sort of you you make space for it because I can get up half an hour earlier or I don't you know there's things that I don't have to do and actually it's been really liberating and I think that started creating structure and a little bit of mindfulness as well and and in the last I've moved to Brighton recently and in the last year um started exercising no that's been <laughs> I have exercised a little bit before but I've started going to the gym and things and I, I like habits I like I know if I go if I do this for a couple of weeks I will create that habit and I will keep doing it and I'm sort of I'm, I'm very into that mentality of creating those those sort of healthy habits that help me sustain and I think that helps me structure my life a bit more. 
I like that. I'm also a big fan of your doodles. And now, now I know where all this talent and yeah, the outcome comes from, from the years of practice, because I'm like, how is she doing that? You know, there is so many doodles, so many beautiful visuals just, you know, being published day after day. But yeah, I guess it's the mastery that came from all your years and hours of practice. Yeah. I, I do think it's that sort of, it's doing that one thing a day. The other thing, um, I get a lot of messages that say, um, I got an iPad and and remember I started on paper. I, I sort of did all of my drawings on paper for about three or four years and then bought an iPad. And it, it was, iPads are fantastic, but I learned to draw on paper and I get a lot of messages, uh, DM saying, I bought an iPad and I'm not as good as drawing at you. And I'm just not saying I'm the best drawer in the world. I'm not the best letterer. But I'll go, oh, great. Like, what have you been practicing? How long have you been doing it? And they're like, three days. And I have to sort <laughs> of have this conversation where I'm like, I'm still not brilliant, but this has been 10 years. Just like give yourself a little bit of time and allow allow yourself to make mistakes. And I think that's the other thing that I got out of the drawing a day there is a swear word coming. You might have to beep me out. Um, when I first started, the drawings were shit. They were not good. And like, I was embarrassed. Like, you know, I was a lecturer at the university and the students, I was like, look, I'm drawing really bad things daily. And I was putting it out on a public forum. And sort of like, it was in the space that I'd never, I'd never done lettering. I was more photography based and sort of album covers and things like that. And then I was trying this lettering and I was putting it out there. And every time I pressed publish, my heart went, oh, oh, oh. everyone's going to rip it to shreds. And actually people were really positive and said, oh, why don't you try this? Mix up your pens. And I learned by doing. And the side effect of that was not being embarrassed to make mistakes publicly and not being sort of like scared of having a go and maybe failing sometimes and going, okay, this is what I learned from it. And what I noticed was that transferred into my sort of, I'd say that's my personal life, but it transferred into my professional life. I'm, I'm much, I'm much more confident in going, I did this, I screwed it up, but it's okay because this is what I've learned from it. And this is what I've pushed forward. And that whole fail culture, I think it gives a false impression it's that fail, fail faster. That's pointless. If you're not learning anything, you're just falling on your face repeatedly. But if you fail or make a mistake, you own it and then go, but look, this is what I've learned and this is how I'm going to be stronger for next time. And that could be in service design. It could be in drawing. It could just be, you know, in your daily life. That's so much on point. And especially when it comes to drawing, it is tough to start again. Like I can tell I went to a drawing class and I almost had an anxiety attack. I was like, everyone sees me. It's not good enough. But yeah, then you have to just keep going. So I love that. So many insights and also a lot about growth mindset and learning from your mistakes. Amazing. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Carol Dweck. So you're probably Yeah, same here. Same here. <laughs> Amazing. Can you tell me a bit more about how you drive change? Because you have been working on so many projects, driving change also through the university lens. What are your insights and tips along your career that made you successful in driving change? Maybe it's something around the growth mindset. And also, what are some do's and don'ts from your experience? Yeah, um, I think working in the universities, I came in in a really odd way. I started lecturing when I was 22. So I was oh. young and some of the students were older than me. And yeah, I didn't know the rules. I didn't I didn't know the rules, so I broke them all, but I didn't even know why I was breaking them all. So I bought in, basically I bought in a project and was like, look, this band I know want a, des a cover design. So what we're going to do is we're all going to meet at the venue. I sort of in the evenings used to run the venue. We'll meet the venue. We'll go and meet the band. We'll <laughs> listen to them. And then we're going to sort of do this sort of design of this album. And sort of that's, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago that I started doing that. And initially it was a bit of like, what are you doing? Um, but actually the students really got a buzz out of it and they enjoyed it and they got to understand that you don't just go oh there's that band I'll just design this cover and it doesn't really matter what they think or the audience or who's going to buy it and even though I was not aware of user-centered design human-centered design of that I was always working with that mindset it sort of came naturally 
and the students gave really good feedback and like that you know Salford was an amazing place to work you had people that were like happy to sort of bend the rules a little bit and try new things um and yeah so we did that and we pushed it forward and we started doing live briefs and that was sort of like jump forward when I was running the course um until I left basically and I was sort of the head of the department that's what we did we sort of we would get a mix of competition briefs live briefs and briefs that sort of were ones that they could sort of like really play with so it didn't have a client attached or anything but it was all about those different learning styles and I always experimented with that this probably isn't the thing to say I'm a little bit like do it and then ask for permission afterwards like um <laughs> have a go it's that test and learn sort of try it get feedback try it again um the other thing is if people say no look for the why behind the no like don't mm -hmm. just take the no so if you know either ask them so so why why are you coming at it from this direction or it you know a y-shaped question or be curious about them be curious about what that decision's been based on and sometimes it is a no but other times it's like you just need to come at it from a different angle you need to have that conversation um i think trust i it, i slowly would build people would trust me like I'd, and that comes from the i would prove it i'd go and do it i'd prove it i'd go look i did it was a success um, so it's that sort of slight risk taking, but only for mm -hmm. yourself. Don't put others in risk. That's not your job. They can choose to come and do it with you, but don't push others into a zone that they're not ready for. So I would take personal risks and sort of go, okay, I've tried this. What do you think? It was a success. Can we do it again? This is how we'll do it. Um, yeah, it's the old show, don't tell, build trust. Um I'm quite me in most situations. Um, so I, I, they knew authenticity. They were getting, yeah, yeah. The I had, I've got a really weird thing about authenticity. I don't. I think it's because <laughs> people go, be authentic on Instagram. This is how to be authentic. It's like if you have to be told how to be authentic, are you really being authentic? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, makes be, sense. Be your yeah, be being you, building trust. It was like. I'm being the real me with you. I'm not putting a facade to win you over. I am I know what I'm talking about. I've, you know, I've really, really looked into this. I'm sort of doing this because it's the right thing. Um and I'm trying to think. There was something else. There was another thing in my head. There's a triangle in my head and I've forgotten the other thing. It's gone. Well, yeah, maybe it comes back. <laughs> But I think these are great pieces of advice. And what I love specifically about your first um, rebellious act when you started a role, bringing them to the band, to the venue, it's understanding the why. And I think also if we apply this to the corporate environment, quite often we're working on projects someone tells us to do. I think the situation has improved. But quite often we really don't understand the why and what it is exactly and how can we achieve a a great result if we don't even get the point you know it's more like taking off the boxes rather than going deep understanding and also getting more joy out of it out of finding a good solution for the problem that we understood yeah 100 percent. and i think that's and that comes back to and i think this is something that students with sort of people coming in and when i say immature i mean at, at immature in their professional sense not as in age yeah, yeah. when you're immature in a space and it's how do you build that confidence when somebody brings in a brief that it, it could be like ethically I don't think this is right it could be sort of unsustainable etc but also to question it to go okay wh why do you think we should be doing this and actually sometimes the answer is oh actually we shouldn't be doing this but there might be what should we be doing it's a little bit like when people come and go, I want a service map, I want a service blueprint, and they don't know why they want a service blueprint. They've just heard their mate had a service blueprint and they yeah. want a map as well. It's like, I want a map, I don't know why. And it's sort of having the confidence to push back and go, actually, you don't need that. Maybe we should do X instead. So, yeah, I, I'm always, 
it's hard because you can't give someone confidence I can't just go oh here you are it's it's something that grows and I think yeah it's again it's that learn by doing and sort of understanding it it's sort of small and incremental and sort of gaining gaining that yeah I love it yeah it's the courage to try having the confidence <clears throat> having the confidence to try and then yeah step by step improve yeah and it's also in organizations how can we and it's a bit buzzword bingo here sorry but sort of psychological <laughs> safety how how can you place the the newer sort of people in the organization remotely and i think this is it so at the minute there are young people coming into this space remote and it's okay for me i've had quite a long career i'm in a sort of space where i'm quite seen but if i've come into the early career i might have career pivoted i'm not that seen in the organization and that might be for a lot of reasons now we're not in the office space you can be completely invisible and sort of like how yeah. how do we create that psychological safety and that visibility for all of the people in the organization to be able to go i've got an idea like i think this is great or i'm going to push back on this and sort of build the comp it's that confidence and that trust in that space and i i think it's something that really needs work on because i think some of the senior leaders and more senior people don't feel it because we're seen but i might be making an assumption there so anyone listening i, to I this, fully agree i fully agree <laughs> yeah but if you're listening to this and you're like actually no you're wrong i'm young in the organization and i feel fully seen like how are you doing that and how like how are you sort of engaged in that way i am going to sort of backtrack we have associates who are incredible at snook and they blow my mind and sort of they are very seen so i think it is possible but i just i, do, I think in large organizations yeah i think it depends on the culture and also the environment that you're fostering and then of course everyone has to adapt to the specific culture so there's different ways to be seen or different behaviors that are rewarded in this cultural context which brings me to human-centered design. I'm very curious, could you share more about your work in this space and why it is so important? Yeah, so in the last sort of like, probably about seven years, I came more into human-centered design. I sort of started on that maturity ladder of sort of like, it used to be design was something that sort of looked good, let's say, and then it's like actually design can sort of really make change. Um, and now I'd say I've actually sort of pivoted into user-centered design, but I think that's a language thing. It's human-centered design, design thinking, user-centered design. I will get lots of hate mail for going, they're all practically the same thing. It's sort of the <laughs> mindset that's really important and what you do with it and sort of how you drive it forward. Um, and yeah, user-centered design, I think it can be a bad thing. I think in the wrong hands, sort of we can get, very obsessed with that user at the center and to use a really obvious sort of uh, example you've got uber where yeah great i get cheap taxis but that taxi driver can't afford to eat or sort of like fuel his own home it's put loads of people out of jobs it's sort of like it's you know causing lots and lots of different issues and airbnb etc cetera, etc cetera. so those are sort of where we've gone sort of slightly awry in user centered design but sort of where where I'm working at the minute is more government based, and actually, what I love about it is it it's sort of looking at making things simple. So it's that accessibility. So it's not just one user. It's like how how will anyone be able to access this as a service? And I think it's very much about making the right thing. So it used to be business goals and it was like, right, what mm -hmm. does the business want? Yeah, you will make more money. And actually now it's about user needs. It's about outcomes over outputs. And it's about really delving into, okay, what is the need here? Not what do they want, but what do they need? And having sort of interviews because the person who's using that service or that product they have the answer. They're the ones that's using it. I will make assumptions, 
but I'm not the one the other side I'm not that person I'm not that person with a particular set of verbs of certain life so it's about having those interviews doing that research you know participatory design go out and do co-design etc etc and really get to the root of the problem and then it goes back to that you know are we answering the right problem should we be doing this and sort of looking at it through the lens of not just the users look at it through the planet sort of you know sustainability consequence aware is it ethical is it accessible as sort of really having that lens all the way through, the whole team should always be thinking like that and pulling each other up. Um, yeah, and so that I think an example, there's, I'm trying to remember the thing, Play Pump is a really, really good example. So Play Pump um, was a pump in Africa. And basically, girls in particular, um, had to give up time that they should have spent in school on their education and they had to go and collect water. And I think there was a lovely yes and mentality and everybody went, oh, yeah, we could do this, we could do this. And they came out with this, um, it's, it's like a park, sort of a, a wheel that spam round and the kids could play on it. It was a fantastic idea. But nobody has actually asked anyone in any of the villages what they actually wanted or needed and interviewed them. They just gave them this really, really expensive techie idea. And what actually flipped out of that was the kids had to play, I think it was like 48 hours a day to be able to pump the water that they needed. When the water <laughs> a lot was of time. needed, yeah, <laughs> it was like the hottest days of the year, They bro like, it broke quite a lot. And what actually happened was the young women of the villages had to go out and hand push these sort of really clunky wheels around that didn't really work. And they went back to the hand pumps that they had in the first place because nobody had spoken to the users. Nobody had thought about the humans that were actually going to use it. They'd got very carried away in that yes and sort of innovation mindset, which is fantastic and have it, but do the user research first. Have like have that really grounded research so you know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and you're doing it for the right reasons and sort of, you know, that you're answering those user needs. Those, like, it actually had the opposite effect. They didn't, their outcome was to have young women happy in education or in education. The, <laughs> now the, they were doing the even more work. There, yeah. What actually happened was they weren't in education. They were out pumping water by hand. Oh, wow. So do I understand it correctly then that the human-centered approach means that you focus on the user, but also the full ecosystem and everyone who is affected by the new product or the innovation that you're working on? That's how I see it. You'll see sort of lots of other people that kind of just go, it's user-centered and you can sort of view it through quite a thin lens. Um, Sarah Drummond's got a really nice, she's one of the co-founders of Snook. It's called full stack service design. And that's sort of looking at, you know, how user-centered design, you're part of a bigger system which affects you and you affect it. And I think sometimes, you know, me as a designer, I think the world revolves around me. It doesn't. There's, you know, there's policy, there's infrastructure, there's culture, there's other things that are in organizations that are in the world that rotate around. And we have to be aware of that, else we'll never actually be able to implement what we need to implement. Because if you don't talk to stakeholders, if you don't sort of understand policy, if you don't look at sort of different structures, all you're do doing is designing in a silo or a bubble. And that's where sort of people go, oh, I've had this fantastic idea and then get upset because it never goes anywhere. But that's because you've kind of designed separate from the actual bigger organization. And that again, that, that's me talking about organizations, but I think it's super important to always have that, and I'll sort of say it's sustainable, ethical, consequence aware, um, have that lens on as well. And that's that that should just be part of your armory. It's part of something that you should always be looking at and going, okay, you know, is this sustainable? Is it ethic ethical? And there's a balance, you know, sometimes something could be really accessible but it's not very eco it's not very sustainable but actually is 
the accessible thing, the right thing to do in that circumstance. So you might not be able to have it it's recyclable, but that's okay because that's the only way we can make it accessible. Yeah, that's, that's very inspiring, especially I think also all generations, but also younger generations, Gen Z, where it's more around purpose, doing the right things rather than things that might drive the most revenue. So I think also then the approach to design and how we do things has to adapt. If we have a look at leadership and you've been in your career, you've worked on many projects, what is your take on modern leadership and what do you think which skills are evolving, especially for a human-centered wider approach approach to realize the potential in your role, but also as a leader with your team? Um, I had to do a session on digital leadership the other day and they were like, what's the secret to digital leadership? And I was like, the secret to digital leadership is, I'd say 80 or 90% is just good leadership. It's not like <laughs> digital has changed it, but actually it's just good leadership. And I think there's incredible books out there um, that are quite old that still are very, very relevant. Um, I Communication. I think communication is one of the biggest things in leadership is that, and I probably haven't been very clear today. I've gone off on a few tangents, but clear, clear communications. So we're living in a world where most people are sort of working remote hybrid in different spaces. So you might be in the office all the time, but your colleagues might be all over the globe. So when you communicate, communicate clearly, but also communicate in multiple spaces. So mm. say it in the Monday morning meeting, say it, so verbalize it, then repeat it on Slack, say it again. And then what, what I'm saying, what we do at Snook at the minute, on the Friday, do a roundup letter and send it out in an email. Um, I would almost go and draw a picture of it as well. So don't just communicate something once and expect everybody in the organization to hear it because there's going to be somebody who hasn't picked up that Slack, who hasn't read that email and actually repeat it. And sort of don't just sort of land it once. So say it, say it again, and then say it again louder. Um, don't be afraid to repeat things. I've had sort of other leaders go, oh, but I don't want to keep repeating myself. And it's like, but if you don't repeat yourself, there's going to be a lot of people that won't have heard it. So it's really, really important. Um, and listening. So again, it's old, but active listening really listen to what people are saying so listen to what the team is saying you can't be everywhere all of the time so this comes down to that trust it's really important to build trust in your team um and you know delegate you have great managers you have other people in the organization so allow them to listen to their teams and sort of report back um, I think delegation is incredibly important. Build a trusted team. Um, it's something that I've been rubbish at over the years and it's stung me multiple times. I massively trust my team. I massively trusted my old team at Hyper Island. Yeah, I seem to be like, oh, I've got to do it all. And then I'd end up burning out. That's no good for anyone. So it, again, it really comes back to that, that sort of that trust in the team. Um, and asking questions, be curious. I think curiosity is sort of a really, really sort of under, um, yeah, undervalued thing. Be curious in the people that you work with. And that's on a personal as well as professional sort of way. So you have your private, you have your personal, and you have your professional. I'm not saying dig into their private life. That's for them. But what's the personal that affects their professional because it's really, really important. I wouldn't directly sort of ask the person. So if it's about children, I wouldn't ask the person if they have children, that's for them to tell me, but I might offer information like that about myself. And then they would sort of offer it back. They choose whether to share that, but it's really, really important to make that space to understand like what, what's their motivations? What's their drives? What do they value? Um, and sort of work from there. And the last one that I go on about all the time, I've written a short medium post about this and I've made some cards, feedback. Um, be really, really 
open to feedback. I struggled again with this for years. Like I got quite hurt by feedback and I used to get quite upset by it and I took it very personal. Uh, hyper hyperylum where I used to work tends to, they feed back to you so much it strips all of your skin off and then you grow <laughs> a very thick layer back on. And actually you learn that feedback is the sort of the source that allows you to grow and thrive. If I don't know that in meetings, I keep, it, if it's something that I'm unaware of, I keep speaking over you. If you don't tell me and I'm completely unaware of it, if you don't feed back to me, I will continue to do that. And then our relationship will really suffer. So sometimes um, there's a wonderful book called Radical Candor. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like sharing feedback because you care. And I think that comes into trust. Do you care about me enough to give me the feedback in a really caring manner, not in a sort of like harsh way, in a way where you're sort of like, we're doing this because we want to build the team. And that can be about work, it can be about behaviors. I love it, Tash. Amazing insights. And I've heard listening and a lot of other points. So we can see that there is behaviors that are still, yeah, what make a good leader. So it's more around the tools that are changing and how we interact in a hybrid or digital first environment that makes it different or changes in comparison to how good leadership was maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Can you share your favorite tool or tools with us that help you to lead a team and help them to be innovative and creative? You might have a lot of tools and ideas from your career. Yeah, I'm just... Uh... It's funny. I don't. I. It's so mislike. I don't think it's tools that matter. I think it's mindsets that matter. And it's. I was speaking about this the other day, where if you get your team in a room and you're like, "Okay, we're going to do some ideation," and I could have the best set of tools, but if there's not psychological safety in that room, if there's not that mo that sort of like trust that. If I say something that's a bit odd, you're not all going to go, shouldn't have said that. If it's not that trust, <laughs> yeah. it's like all of the ideas are in our heads and our heads are like toothpaste tubes. But we've screwed the, ta the top on really, really tightly. And we can squeeze as hard as we like. We can use as many tools as we like. But if we don't have psychological safety to unscrew the top of it, nothing's ever going to come out. And I think that's... So for me, it's almost like that psychological safety space. And ironically, that comes back to, and I've mentioned trust a lot, it comes back to that trust factor. It comes back to listening. It comes back to making space for everybody in the team, being curious. Um, there's a really great author called Shane Snow, and he talks about, um, so two things. Fearless Organizations by Amy Edmondson. Fantastic. She yes. talks a lot about um, psychological safety. Um, Edgar Sheen, and she actually built on his work. He speaks about it as well. Um, those two are fantastic. In fact, I think um, Amy Edmondson, everybody thinks she invented it. It was it was there before, but she's a sort of huge source. Shane Snow talks about sort of trust, and he talks about the thing that people don't notice is ability. So I've got the ability and it's shown through displaying skills and knowledge and managing uncertainty and recognizing and correcting sort of mistakes, et cetera. So that's evidencing those mistakes as well. So I've got the ability and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people get a little bit lost because they're like, oh, I'm really intelligent. I've proved I've intelligent. I've used the right tools. Everyone's going to trust me. But that's only one of the three things. And then you've got the integrity. So like, do I do I evidence what I say? Like, can you trust what, like, I will come, I will follow through. So that's sharing information transparently, which I said before, like, put that information out, be transparent. Don't hide things from people, they'll find it out. Um, and delivering on what you say and playing fair, like really evidencing you're playing fair. Like if people, if people don't think you're being fair in an organization, they'll be, very sort of like if you're listening I'm pushing back now with my hands but yeah the biggest thing and I sort of like it's about 
caring about people it's that benevolence and sort of how much you have other people's interests at heart and that's through warmth and listening it's vulnerability sort of showing that you're not like this all-powerful leader that is made of metal and is you know I, I make no mistakes and you cannot hurt me um willing to sacrifice and sort of like diverge your interests and things like that and taking care of people and really sort of caring about that team and not taking advantage of them and it's that I'll let's stand on each other's shoulders. There's that this whole team goes forward. It's not just me going forward going brilliant. I get to do all these lovely things, but I'll stand on you in there. And if you stack them up, like ability, integrity and benevolence. So integrity, ability on top, integrity in the middle and benevolence at the bottom. If you lose a little bit of the ability, people will still trust you because you can prove your ability. If there's a little bit of a wobble on integrity, you can sort of gain that back. But what Shane Snow actually goes into is it's very balanced on benevolence. Like if people feel like you don't care about them, the trust is lost. And it's super, super interesting. And he talks about like being in cafes. And, you know, when you go to the toilet in a cafe, and you say to someone, can you just look after my computer? You say that to a complete stranger. It's the most precious thing other than your child. But you take the child <laughs> to the toilet with you. So you, it's that wonderful human thing that we will trust people. But if we lose that trust, it's incredibly hard to gain it back. Ability, integrity, you can gain back. But that benevolence, that sort of like, I don't feel like you care about me is incredibly yeah. hard to sort of like grab back. I fully agree. And I love the toothpaste comparison. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I will always have this in my head when it comes to psychological safety and team and innovation. And I, I love everything said, that you've shared. Yeah. I should have said, sorry, I totally interrupted you then. Um, I was actively listening and then I interrupted. Um, I'm. I, it was actually, I based it all on, you know, squeezy tomato things yeah 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 drawing yeah. loads of tomatoes at the minute and i should have said that so but <laughs> it's like it's more like a tube of toothpaste yeah co coming to tomatoes typography <laughs> can you tell us a bit more about the message behind your design and what are your thoughts and are there any specific reactions that you want to provoke because i have the feeling you also want to drive change and maybe awareness through some of your designs and drawings um I think, yeah, I think sometimes the drawings are a little bit what's going through my head that day um, mm. or it's what I'm reading. And I, they used to be a lot happier. <laughs> so I don't know. I think it's reflecting the world at the moment. It used to be sort of a lot chirpier, a lot sort of like just smile and the world will smile too and things like that. And they were a little bit more cutesy. And over time, I think they they haven't got darker. I'm not saying that, but they've got a lot more in depth. Some days they are super, super light. Um, and it depends what mood I'm in and sort of like how much time. But I post, when I when I have time, I like to sort of, draw about funny enough you'll sort of see that about psychological safety about trust about teams because I think teams are so important and I think we spend so long as humans in work and if you can just make your workspace a little bit better if you can learn a few and you asked about tools and I gave you no tools but one tool, <laughs> like feedback it's I okay think, <laughs> but like feedback is a tool I think it's one of those beautiful underrated tools that people are scared of but actually used in the right way can be the most empowering beautiful thing and we don't use it in the right way not we some people don't use it in the right way and so yeah sometimes I will get on a a trail of I will talk about feedback a lot and it's usually because something's triggered it in my life where I'm like why are people doing that or it'll be about psychological safety or the other day, there was a news report about, um, oh, no, I've forgotten her name. She's an amazing actress. Anyway, she wore a sheer top and everyone, like the press. Oh, gave yeah, her... the transparent top. Yeah, loads of people gave a stick about having tiny tits. And I've got tiny tits and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that 
why why are we body shaming each other still this is ridiculous so we're not allowed big boobs we're not allowed small boobs and so there was a huge rant illustration on that so yeah it just it kind of reflects what's going on in my head that day I'd love to say there's more to it than that that doesn't sound very deep I'll think uh, of a no, it is. and get back to you. <laughs> It is, it is amazing. I love seeing them. And I also love a visual summary of important concepts or a person or a topic because I'm a very visual person. So whenever I see something from you or from Liz Foslian, who also posts a lot on LinkedIn, I'm like, ah, oh, this is amazing. You know, this, this one image gives me more food for thought than a lot of other text paragraphs that I read through, throughout the day. There, there is one that's been continuous and I actually realized I've been doing it for about two or three years um it's called ace at any age I don't know if you've seen those ones and basically I I was reading into I'm sort of going to be hitting 50 soon and I was reading some article about what not to wear over 50 or what not to wear <laughs> over 40 which I use as tips if they tell me not to wear hot pants and leopard print I will wear hot pants and leopard print that day <laughs> um, and I sort of, I, I don't know, I went down a rabbit hole on that. And basically, it was sort of saying one of the highest completed suicide rates is women over 50, because they feel like they're becoming invisible, they feel they aren't seen anymore. And it really hit me. I was like, why did I not know this? And like, will I feel this? Are my friends feeling this? And then I spoke to one of my friends who's over 50. And she it's incredible. She's an absolute comet that rips through the sky. And without any prompting, she was chatting to me and it was like, I just feel like the, now the kids have left home. I just don't feel seen. I feel people talk over me. And I was like, oh, why is this happening? Like, And then, you know, women don't get um, roles in certain areas and sort of blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so my response to it was I will draw uh illustrate so it's lettering around women who were over 50 who were just nailing it and very visible and very wonderful and it could be an actress it could be a singer um it could be somebody from sort of like charity sector scientists astronauts etc but it, it's just to go look look these women are incredible and they're over 50 and that doesn't matter so I never really make a massive thing about their age but it's about why they are just glowing and thriving and just being incredible still it's amazing and so inspiring so I think I might have seen all of them or at least the ones from the last year I'm like oh yeah inspiring 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 so keep it up thank you I have another question around design education because you're working with Jenny Thielen or Theolin to create a community inviting formal and informal teachers in the design industry to co-create and also create a safe space to share knowledge, experiences, ideas, or insights. And you told me that the aim is to improve the conditions for learning design at school. Can you speak a bit about your motivation? Is it about accessibility? And also what's your take on self-sustaining community? So What's the idea behind and also how did you set it up and make sure you're not burning out, but you create something that is self-sustaining? So um, Jenny actually set it up and I, I kind of joined her. So I won't take the credit for setting up. She sort of like spawned it and then uh, said, do you want to come on board to help? And it's the thing with design education, it's, a, it's like a little bit of a Morpheus blob. It, it, it's it's still developing into what it is. And I would say, you know, Jenny's been on maternity leave, so it's just been me for um, a year. And the way we sustain it, and it's always been very much like, this can't be something that takes over too much of our, our sort of lives because we both do quite a lot. Um, but the other day I did sort of like put it out on there that I might be doing a little bit of a cull because I was like, some people don't interact. And I think they're just sort of sat there taking up space and sort of like, so just shout, I'm, I'm going to sort of trim a little bit. And then I got like this message going, don't, don't, don't chick kick me off. I know I don't interact much, but I love reading it. And I love the SOS channel and I love different sort of spaces on it. So um, some of the feedback early doors, we used to do a check-in on Monday and a check-out on Friday. Um, and that was the only time we added to the channel. And some of the feedback was it's too noisy. So for some people, that is too much. So what we do now is on a Wednesday, we sort of pose a question. 
And I would say it's at the minute sort of uh, design education is a quite sort of low sustaining that that's sort of what we do but actually when I have a sort of a bit of a go through all the other channels people are sort of interacting they are chatting they're asking for help I do know they speak to get to each other in the uh, direct messages quite a lot and I think it's a it's it's a safe community to sort of ask that question, that question where you're like, mm, I'm really struggling with this and the participants aren't sort of interacting in a certain way. The idea is that we will be doing a few more sort of like online events and actually getting us together in a physical space because I think at the moment there's, there's, a, there's a core of people that are interacting and I'd be interested to sort of like see how the other people want to interact. So the idea is we will, now Jenny's coming back from maternity leave, the idea is we're right, okay, how do we get it to the next step? But it is a beautiful space. I really, I really value the people's input on there. They're incredibly smart. And when you ask a question, they have, I've seen very honest debates on there and I'm really proud that they have honest debates that are very, I know this sounds ridiculous, very civil. It doesn't get into Twitter arguments. It gets into a, yeah, but have you looked at it from this? <laughs> and actually, that those are the sort of things that I really, really enjoy looking. And we've got, I think, five to 600 people globally. So people are going to have very oh, wow. different opinions and ways of approaching education. Um, yeah, and it's great to see that unfold. Amazing. So you would also say here the foundation is psychological safety that people feel confident enough to ask their questions in the community yeah and I'd say that's evolved a little bit on itself if I'm honest I know Jenny and I are very present um and we sort of pop up in and we're sort of like quite honest and you know we will go oh we did this it didn't work apologies um so I think we role model the way we want the yeah. this space to be it is just a slack channel so you know I one of the, like they actually said this Slack is where communities come to die on the Slack channel that we run the community. Um, so, <laughs> but, and, and I, and I see that, but actually sort of like, it's that, that just keep it, it, it's that small and incremental again, it's that communication is key and really sort of listening. And when people share stuff, we have that conversation. We don't just sort of pop it out and then disappear again. Yeah. I, I think the key is also what you said, being present and role modeling the behaviors that you want to see in the group and environment like a leader it also depends on you which behavior is your role model so i yeah, love definitely. that amazing tash i have one last question for you that you might already know so i'm very hands-on and i love to take action so that's why i also want to give an actionable advice to our listeners because change comes from action so can you share with us what's your greatest advice or learning that they can practice straight away or a practice your secret sauce that would help change agents and leaders become a better version of themselves and or increase their impact? Um, it's good. a little bit repetitive, but be curious about people. Go and ask people questions. Like asking questions, evidence is that you've listened to someone. So asking a really interesting question really shows that I have really engaged with what you said because I've asked this to draw it forward and then you drill down further you're not just getting the surface so it's understanding I think you see things that are huge and these huge changes sometimes they've taken seven to ten years and people don't mention that and they don't mention that small incremental so really celebrate the small wins um talk to people like don't be afraid to go I'm finding this hard um, and it's small that again, it's that small and incremental and just keep chipping away at it. And that doesn't sound very inspirational, but it does back sound to very drawing. inspirational. <laughs> Powerful <laughs> message. <laughs> yeah. Go back to the, what I was saying about the drawings. I did one drawing a day and I've got 10 years worth and it's like thousands of drawings now. So it's, it's that sort of mindset, those, celebrate those small wins because it's going to be a long journey sometimes oh, you have inspired me to start a new hobby now <laughs> something that scares me at the moment <laughs> Tash do you have one last sentence or wrap up to share with us yeah so it it's going back to sort of like small and incremental so celebrate the small things 
um, and small things mount up to sort of like make something quite big. So I've done one drawing a day for 10 years. I now have thousands. And there's, I am going to apologize if you haven't watched uh, Game of Thrones. There's an ice wall in Game of Thrones. And basically, I like to sort of talk about it that you t you walk up with a tiny, tiny pickaxe and you sort of chip away at that ice wall and you feel like you're not making a difference. And so if like there's there's at points you need to sort of step away, put the, chip, uh, the pickaxe back and then somebody else has to take over. But the fact is you are making a difference. You are going to be one of the people that cracks that ice wall. And it's understanding that I think sometimes people go, oh, change management, change. They think it's going to be a huge change that changes the world. But actually, it's those small changes that are the really, really important one. They change, like they make huge, huge differences. And it's um, my friend, Emma Parnell. Um, Emma Parnell was working at the NHS and she's worked, she's written an amazing blog post about this. And she worked on the... Um, so the screening and basically she was designing the uh, sign up to go and get vaccinations um i've mm. said that really badly but it was the sign up to get vaccinations and what she realized was that when you went clicked on it said male or female and there was only two options in gender and she'd worked with the trans community and um was sort of like actually she'd heard that a lot of people were not even going any further than that they were sort of like so upset sort of like triggered by just that question that they mm. were like actually I'm not going to go on it and Emma and it wasn't an easy thing to do Emma really really looked into it and actually it it wasn't completely changed but she really really took it as her sort of thing to drill into and actually got it changed and she talks about it beautifully in a blog post um that is called let's talk about sex by Emma Parnell do read it but that seems really small that seems really small but the difference it made in some people's lives was huge they went and got vaccinated some people sort of like were so triggered that they they went away and just sort of didn't interact with the health service so they sort of disconnected from the health service think how big that is think how big that is for the trans community and that could be other communities as well so what seems like something that's quite small could have a huge huge impact amazing Pesh thank you for the reminder to keep going I think it's definitely needed and also to rest in between it was lovely to have you I feel so inspired thank you so much for being my guest thank you very much MindSpark Podcast, your podcast to inspire change. Don't forget to dream big and have impact. It's a journey. If you like my work, you can leave me a good rating and share this episode with friends and colleagues or whoever would benefit from this MindSpark. And follow MindSpark on Instagram under mindspark.academy. Take care and see you for the next episode.